The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this June 23rd, 2016 edition. I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Monday to Friday and on Saturdays at 9 a.m. Eastern right here on WINB. And to find out more ways to listen to the program, of course, the podcast and the customized Weekend Vigilante app, do go to the Listen tab there at weekendvigilante.com. And speaking of the website, there is a link there today for our new book. You can pre-order the new book by Carla Buton and myself. This is a powerful book, Power Prayers, Warfare That Works. And just so people know, the current artwork on that pre-order button, you'll see what looks to be a book cover. That's not the real book cover. Of course, we have to pay to get that designed. So folks, please do pre-order this book so we can kind of know where our numbers are. As I told everyone, it was going to be somewhere around $4,000 plus to get this done. And this is a request by a lot of people. So we are hoping to see those pre-orders come in. Do support our work. And if you don't think you need this book, well, trust me, you have not seen the kind of weapons of mass destruction prayer these are. You know that prayer is one of the biggest weapons against the enemy and the demonic hosts of hell? And effective prayer That is the key. And it's also the key to God's divine favor and supernatural blessing. That's why you have to learn the keys to victory over curses and bondage. People say to me all the time, oh, no, Christians can't have a curse. It's all under the blood. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ, but you still have to learn to appropriate it. You know, the word says in James 5, 6, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I'm going to tell you, this book is going to change the way you pray. And it's going to change your life in the process. So we are very excited to bring you this book. Do get yours today. Well, let's jump right into the program. I have a fantastic guest on. And speaking of spiritual warfare, he's going to bring some very powerful revelation. It is Dan Duval. Dan, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you back on the program. Thank you, Sheila. It's great to be back on your program. Uh, We're going to be having a lot of fun tonight talking about a subject that I, I love. There's really nothing more satisfying, in my opinion, than, than beating up on the devil for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And frankly, people need to be equipped to do that. And I think that's what we're here to do tonight. You got that right, Dan. And helping other people do that. And this is a great thing that you've assembled, this spiritual warfare ensemble that you've put together. Amazing. Talk a little bit about that for the folks, Dan. Well, what I sent to you is the discipleship packet that we use at Bride Ministries. Now, uh, people can visit my website at bridemovement.com, or they can check us out at www.thefireplacechurch.org, which is our newest project. We actually launched an internet-based ministry service. Uh, We meet every Friday evening at 7 p.m., and it features live discussion groups as a component of every service, and people get to jump into those right after uh, the service is concluded. So, people can contact us through either one of those, but one of the things that we're doing through Bride Ministries is what I call discipleship, and we offer four classes. One of them is called Grace, that's the first class, then we uh, have another one called In Christ, 
the third one is called the kingdom, and the fourth one is spiritual warfare. Now, each class has its own manual. It's a packet that I produce in order to teach these subjects in a very deep way over a period of eight weeks. And so people are able to sign up for those simply by going to our websites and uh, reaching out to us via our contact form. And then you can do that on the website or just write us at info at thefireplacechurch.org. And uh, we can add you to the waiting list. Um, We have hundreds of people, Sheila, believe it or not, on our waiting list for our discipleship groups. It's just really blown up. It's become very popular, apparently, because people are actually getting equipped with uh, the Word of God that's, that's just transforming their lives. And I'd say spiritual warfare has probably become the most popular of those courses simply because people want to know how to stop getting their teeth kicked in by the devil. Now, this is a funny thing. The Bible says, that we have been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians. And it, it seems very plain and clear that that's the way it should be. But for most people, it's just not true. They, they do not seem to be experiencing victory at all in any era of life. It, it's really depressing and discouraging. And so what we're doing is we're equipping people to get the victory, to actually execute effective spiritual warfare. And um, we do it over a period of eight weeks. What I gave you... Uh, is that packet. Now, if people want the packet, they have to do is sign up for the course and take it. But it's 47 pages. We go through what we'll be talking about this evening and, and much more in that course. Excellent. Well, and the spiritual warfare series is so important. And one of the things I liked that you tied into this information was a section on suffering. And I think that's one of the biggest questions, most frequently asked questions we as ministers get, Dan, is why does God allow suffering? And some of the way that question is handled just makes me shake my head. You break it down into two types of suffering. Get into that for us. Okay. This is a really, really important question, Sheila, because this is where people get hung up. Okay. So you're a Christian now, right? Jesus loves you. God saved your life. Now you begin to read the Bible. Now this person, you've been going through suffering all your life. And then you get to a passage like 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. And it says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And people, they'll read something like that, and then they'll get into the book of Job and say, aha, God wants me to suffer, and that's why I keep suffering. And somehow, this is going to benefit me. And so, what happens is people begin to take it laying down. It's like, oh, the devil's coming to bully me. I guess I should just lay down and take it because this is somehow good for me. God wants this for my life. He wants everything to fall apart. He wants me broke. He wants me sick. He wants me destitute. He wants me to fail because somehow there's this cosmic lesson that's going to come at the back end of all of this. And my evidence is 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. You see, and and that's where people, they really get... Uh, religious about the subject of suffering. And they begin to think, you know, this is what Christianity means. We just suffer for Jesus. And it's like, okay, yeah, that philosophy works for about as 
long as it takes for you to get so fed up that you're angry at God. You know, and then, and then it comes to this, God, why do you hate me? Why do you despise me? Why won't you just give me a break? Why am I even Christian right now? This is horrible. All of my pagan friends that are, you know, frolicking around and rolling around in their sentences, dude, is doing so much better than me. This is horrible. And, and people get very discouraged, Sheila. And they, they find themselves in these double binds where in, in one sense, they want the suffering to stop. Like, please let it stop. In another sense, it's very religious to suffer. Yeah, you're right. There is that dichotomy, isn't there? Kind of these religious spirits. Oh, woe is me. I'm just out here suffering for Jesus. Right. I'm just going to tough it out here until God takes me hopefully to a better place. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. But, but people, right, coming back to the whole thing, right, you read the Bible and you can find yourself in this double bind because you read selectively. Like I said, 1 Peter 1, 6-7 gives a very strong case for the idea that suffering can result in praise and honor when Jesus is revealed. So what do you do? How, how do you balance this conversation? And this, um, Sheila, to me becomes, it, it just hugely significant when I begin to train people to do effective spiritual warfare, because this is the problem. See, some Christians believe that there is no need for spiritual warfare. They think that life is a series of experiences that God ordains for us to go through so that we can be proven, tried, and tested, and then we get to die and get a reward from Jesus in heaven, and that's it. What that eliminates from the uh, equation, though, is the fact that Jesus Christ said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus was essentially saying is that, look, God's will is not always being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why you need to pray. So the Bible says, you know, things like whatever you ask, believing you receive it, you will have it. In other words, if you don't ask, you won't have it. <laughs> yeah. um, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if the righteous don't pray, nothing's going to get availed. Like, you know, you just take these things to their obvious conclusion, Sheila, and you realize that we have a responsibility. Spiritual warfare is our responsibility, and there's a reason why. And, and some people say, well, you know, I, I think I'm very comfortable now with all the suffering that's going on in my life. I've learned how to take it laying down really well. Well, I'm sorry that that's your situation, you know, religious Christian. Let me help you a bit. You don't have to stay on the ground and getting your teeth kicked in by the devil. The devil wants believers to think that God wants them to suffer unnecessarily. Sheila, the reason why I introduced spiritual warfare on what you brought up, the question of suffering, is because the first thing I want believers to understand is that they do not have an assignment from God to take the punishment they are receiving from the devil laying down. There is a reason why the Bible says you have been given spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. First of all, that's a plural word, weapons, plural. And it says they're not carnal, but mighty, which means that, you know, you have very strong tools and resources from God for a reason, Christian, and it's to combat what the devil is bringing to your doorstep and the doorstep of those around you. There is a reason for spiritual warfare. There's an equipping for spiritual warfare, but it begins with the philosophy. The philosophy says, I'm not going to take it laying down. And the confusion often occurs in this area of suffering. It's like, well, where do I draw the lines? How do I know what suffering is uh, of God and what suffering isn't? Right. Are you suggesting that not all suffering is ordained of God? 
And, you know, the answer is absolutely yes. Not all suffering is ordained of God, and I will show you why. I break down suffering into four different types of suffering, and there might be even more than that, but I, I just teach four because it's, it, it helps people to begin to draw some lines and make some distinctions as to what's going on in their own lives. Because the reality is there is a balanced teaching on suffering in the Bible, and it does not sound like everything bad that's happening to you is ordained of God to teach you a lesson. So, th there are two main categories I talk about in insofar as suffering is concerned. The main categories are unavoidable suffering and avoidable suffering. Unavoidable suffering is suffering that is going to happen. Um, just because of the fact, by virtue that we live in a fallen world, there is a certain amount of suffering that is just going to happen. Right. And it's unavoidable. Um, there is also avoidable suffering, and it's a different conversation. And in each of those categories, I again make distinctions. And so, in the unavoidable suffering conversation, I say there are two types of unavoidable suffering. I call them the refiner's fire and abuse and inescapable evil. Now, let me explain to you why the refiner's fire is not abuse and inescapable evil. The Bible says in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Um, God suggests that we purchase, we actually pay a price to receive from him gold refined in fire. You know, there is a work of God that occurs in our lives that comes with a great price, and sometimes we have to suffer to get there. Um, you know, what, what does suffering look like in God's kingdom? Well, if you've ever fasted more than 24 hours, um, you can get an idea of what suffering feels like. You know, I, I've gone as long as 30 days, Sheila. That, <laughs> there's a bit of suffering that goes <laughs> along with it, but there's a reward, and it's a blessing, and it actually brings fruit to a person's life. You know, there are challenges that God will bring in a person's life, but they are always what I would call fruit-bearing. In other words, at the end, there is a purpose from God for that type of suffering. And it does also implicate 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, which says, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. This is real. It is true that there is a type of suffering that does reveal and result in praise, glory, and honor going to Jesus in our lives. But what does that mean? That means that when we get done with whatever we are going through, whether it be a season or a trial or just, you know, challenging circumstance. The result is that there is fruit being birthed in our lives, whether it's patience or character or love or acceptance or a new view of things or people. It's always fruit bearing, okay? But there's a difference between the refiner's fire and inescapable evil. Can I tell you something, Sheila, when five-year-olds are getting beat to a pulp by their parents, that is not suffering that brings fruit to their lives. Right. In fact, it brings great destruction and harm. It brings uh, destruction to view of self and identity. It pollutes a view of God that, you know, they, they, because they see and experience and they say, well, if this was if it was true that God was a loving God, this would have not happened to me. So the abuse and inescapable evil conversation is completely different. There's no fruit coming from that. It, it, it's only destructive. It's only torment. And the, the fruit only really comes when a person begins to heal 
from a journey of abuse and inescapable evil. When they do, they begin to have a testimony. And that causes them and others that hear their testimony to begin to overcome the wicked one. So God can turn situations, but abuse and inescapable evil is a different conversation. And as a matter of fact, I would suggest that when that three-year-old is getting raped by their stepdad, that is not the will of God at all for their lives. I believe that's the will of Satan. And when people begin to realize that there is, there are things that happen in this world that are not the will of God, it really sets them free to have a different perspective. Because some people, their view of God is corrupted by virtue of the fact that they think everything that has ever happened to them was supposed to happen to them because God controls everything that's happening. And so he controlled the fact that they were raped when they were three years old, and therefore he hates their guts. See, this whole line of thinking is absolutely, it's just wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 63, 9, and this verse is very powerful. It says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Yeah. So, God has a different view of abuse and inescapable suffering than his view of the refiner's fire. When we as, as humans are going through very, very difficult things, abuse and inescapable evil, the reality of the situation, and this is something that we have learned working with survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control agendas that have gone through the worst kinds of abuse, is that God actually goes through it with them. There's this thing called compassion in the Word of God. Compassion literally means to suffer with, and God is full of compassion. So, is it, the, the revelation is that when people are going through very difficult, dark things that are inescapable, they are abuse, and they, they are unavoidable. God is actually going through it with them, and the revelation that often comes through a healing journey is that He was there. Because his name is Jehovah Shammah, God who is there. And so, the Bible says in their affliction, he was afflicted. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we've learned, Sheila, this was huge revelation, um, came out of the passage in Matthew 25, 37 through 44. And it says, and this is talking about the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And um, I, I believe that there's a lot of eschatological context for this, but barring that, just face-level, surface-level revelation. It says, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you curse, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in naked. You didn't clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. They will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you in this state? And he says, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And this is the thing that the devil does. He knows Sheila, that the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, and that is a spiritual reality and fact. And therefore, in order to torment, and this is actually a torment of God, he goes after the children of God and subjects them to abuse and inescapable evil as a backdoor way to try and cause God pain, which it does, because whatever is done to us is done to him, and because in 
our affliction, he was afflicted. We know that we have a high priest and an intercessor in heaven and one who identifies with us in all of our weaknesses and all things that we go through. But this, this Sheila means that God, God does not view all suffering as the same. He deals with the refiner's fire, suffering that brings fruit to our lives in one conversation and deals with abuse and inescapable evil in a separate conversation. They are different. And you know what? God is a good God because he's not the one determining why, you know, this, you know, poor little child had to go through such horrible things. The devil is orchestrating evil against people. And we have to realize that he is the author of these things. That begins to set us free in our ability to do things like trust God. Yeah, that's right. And also trust in what he said in his word. He gave us superior weaponry. And what else did he give us there in Luke? He gave us power and authority over all the power of the enemy. The enemy's modus operandus is to kill, to steal, and destroy. The devil's not playing, but sadly, most Christians are. And so we need to be using it. One time I was in my car and I was crying out to God. I was shaking my fist to the heavens. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you do something about this, God? And he said to me, Sheila, why don't you? It's already finished. I gave you everything you need. And I was like, wow, that was a real turning point for me. And I really started looking at our weapons. That's, that's, well, that's exactly it. You know, talking about what you just brought up, that is number three, right? Uh, so I was talking about avoidable suffering. And in that category, there's two types of avoidable suffering. The first is the devil's illegal attacks. The second is poor decision making. They are different conversations. So first, the devil's illegal attacks. You just brought this verse up. John 10, 9 and 10 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Mm-hmm. You know, most Christians live at such a base level, so far beneath what I would call privilege. They don't even know what abundant life looks like. They, they, there's actually no way to fathom it because they, they've, they've been living beneath privilege. Um, well, one of the ways you connect to privilege is to be able to effectively execute spiritual warfare because otherwise your ability to access privilege will be stolen from you all day long long. It's part of the same conversation, even in this verse. So Jesus is giving us a revelation. The thief does come. Now, thief obviously being Satan, Satan being a generalization of the entire kingdom of darkness. Uh, Okay. If if Jesus says that the Satan comes to steal, that means that he's actually coming to take something he doesn't have the right to take. He didn't say Satan comes to take from you what I'm giving him. He said he came to steal. It's different. Some Christians think everything the devil takes from them, <laughs> he's supposed to. You know, devil, come on in my house. Uh, you can steal my toaster oven. You can steal my oven. You can steal my dishwasher. Steal my couch. You can steal my kids. 
you see, it's this mindset that whatever we are suffering from is, it's like, you know, God's fault. Well, that's the poison. Jesus straightens us out real fast. He said, the thief comes not but to steal. That means that when he comes in your house and begins to take your toaster oven, you need to look at that different. Christians, stop tolerating the nonsense. If a thief walks into your house for real, I mean, half of you listening to Sheila's program own weapons to shoot people that would try to steal your stuff or your kids in the physical. But God has given you weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. What are you doing? If you wouldn't tolerate it in the natural, why are you tolerating it in the spirit? See, when the devil comes into our house and begins to take our toaster oven, our oven, our dishwasher, our (laughs) washing machine and couch, you need to say, wait a minute, stop right there. Get your greasy paws. <laughs> I'm not going to tolerate. And you know what? The prob- the funny thing is, Sheila, many of the things that the devil, you see, the devil doesn't show up for most of these things. Yeah. He sends the runs out, these yeah. little demons. Like I mean, just petty guys. If you could actually see some of these spirits in the, in the, in the actual spirit realm, they're like two feet tall wimpy, small, they're running a riot against believers who just have no clue. You know, there are different categories of spirits. They come in different sizes and shapes and power levels and all that. I'm not saying some of the spirits out there are very, very strong, but a lot of them that that come to take your couch, they're really impish. I mean, so it's, it's silly sometimes to see what people tolerate in the spirit, Sheila. And that's what I'm getting at. I'm saying, um, people need to get a revelation. The thief comes to steal. So don't let him. Yeah. Tell him to stop. Pull out your spiritual weapons, which we'll probably get to in this same conversation. I'll tell you about some of them. And stop him. The Bible says the thief comes not but to kill. This is a funny thing. Sheila, You know, do, do you know that there are Christians that believe that you cannot die until your appointed time by God? Yes. And that that can't be changed. That means that every... 15-year-old that is OD'd on heroin has died at their appointed time. That means that every fetus that has been aborted in their mother's womb has died at their appointed time by God. Does that make any sense at all? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah had his lifetime extended 16 years. There may be a time that a person is supposed to live according to what is ordained for their lives. But that can be stolen from. It can be subverted. The thief comes to kill. What you have to realize, Christian, is that you are fighting an enemy that has come to literally kill you and your family. And that's something that you have to actively resist with your spiritual weapons and the power of Jesus Christ. Um, it would not say he comes to kill if he were not able to steal from a person's life. It would not say steal if you were actually getting goods God ordained him to have. And it would not say destroy if God were the one that wanted your life destroyed. So when the robbery comes, when the killing comes, and when the destruction comes, that's when you need to begin to stand up and say, I I will not tolerate this because I don't have to. This is avoidable suffering. I call it avoidable suffering, Sheila, because when Christians begin to stand up against these kinds of attacks, 
What happens is that the suffering they would have gone through because they didn't stand up to the attack, they are not going through because they stood up to the attack in the name of Jesus and stopped it. I made a determination a long time ago, Sheila. I said, I know my God is great. I will arrive at the point that every time a demon, a human agent, frankly, even the fallen angels and powers of the heavens get an assignment against me, they're going to loathe the day that it came to them because it's going to hurt them so bad. They'll be crying on the front end of that assignment because I will have so little tolerance for anything. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. I, I was at an amusement park. Sheila, this was years ago. I was at an amusement park and I, I went on a roller coaster, okay? And I was having a great time, right? I had my wallet in my pocket and this roller coaster happened to have a couple loops and it looped over uh, <laughs> like a little lake bed, you know, a little water, whatever. They had it there. And so we're going through the loop and I'm like, yeah, I'm having a great time. And you know what happens? My wallet falls out of my back pocket and into the lake. It gets stolen from me, Sheila. Stolen. Now, I get off the roller coaster wallet, not in my pocket. Oh, no. Where's the wallet? I'm not going to get because, the, you know, the water is behind a fence just in case a crazy guy like me actually would go into the water and look for their lost wallet. So I can't get there. It's a fence. And so... Okay, <laughs> now I'm out of wallet. I had some cash in there. You know, I had my credit cards. I had my ID and license. I was like, man, now I got to go cancel everything. I got to find all these phone numbers. I, I lose my cash. I said, this isn't, this isn't going to be tolerated. You know what I did, Sheila? I began to demand things in prayer. I was like, this is not getting stolen from me. As a matter of fact, what got stolen from me is going to get restored sevenfold. Let me tell you something. The truth is I had $20 in my wallet. By the time I was heading back, I had literally been given $140 by different people just because I prayed. <laughs> it came to me without me actually having to ask, like, hey, could you help a brother out? That was sevenfold return on the $20 that had been stolen. Now, this might seem petty. I'm talking about an attitude and paradigm. I just simply won't tolerate the fact that my wallet fell out of my pocket while I'm on a roller And people say, well, that's silly, Dan. You were on a roller coaster. Can't you let it go? No, I can't let it go. The devil's not going to steal my stuff while I'm having a good time. And he's not going to steal my stuff on a bad day either. Not without me not tolerating it. And so this is the thing. This attitude goes behind it. It fuels my faith, which <laughs> really is a, a testimony to the fact that I know my father in heaven loves me enough to care about the fact that I lost my wallet in $20. That's a revelation of God's love. Yeah. Now, as I'm demanding that, this is what else happened. I got seven times what I lost in cash. I did get a new license. Of course, no one found my credit card, so all of those got returned to me when I called the phone numbers, and I didn't lose any money there. Then, once I got you know, the license back and all the credit cards back and lost nothing and had sevenfold return on the cash, there were a bunch of bonus cards in my wallet for the grocery store, CVS, you know. Stuff that really matters, right? <laughs> Comp USA. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That amusement park, they found my wallet. They found not the wallet itself, but the inside part of the way. I had like a, a separation on the inside, <laughs> right? So they found the inside part, which had all my bonus cards. 
They put that part of my wallet with all the bonus cards in an envelope and mailed it to me. So I actually ended up getting my original license back because that's what had my address on it and all my bonus cards. So I got the bonus cards, got sevenfold return on the cash, all my credit cards back, my license. I lost nothing and gained from the fact that I was having a good time and the devil tried to steal my wallet. See, this is an attitude. Faith works, Sheila. And when Christians begin to understand that they have a father in heaven that loves them and does not want them to tolerate the garbage and the nonsense and the ridiculous things the devil tries to pull, you know what? (laughs) There's a company of people that arise and cause a lot of problems for the camp of the enemy. Actually, they begin to change the way the world works. You said that we're living far below. I really see it as our inheritance, our stand. We're living substandard. And yet, it's kind of like I use this analogy. If somebody died, left you a will and left you a Mercedes Benz, it's parked in your driveway, it's clear and free, the title, it's yours, you've got the keys, it was a gift, you got unlimited gas forever, it's parked in your driveway, and you're taking the bus. We're living far below our inheritance from Almighty God who loves us. And he's waiting for us to appropriate all the things he's given us in our privilege, in our inheritance. He doesn't like us getting knocked around from the enemy. You know, these guys say, oh, well, come and get them. Come and take my guns. I wish we'd apply that attitude. Come and try to mess with me, devil, and see what happens. You just come and try it. <laughs> well, this is, and this is why believers need to be told the truth, Sheila. Because, you know, there's been a lot of really bad teaching. Yeah. A lot. And, and this is the thing, right? Because when you have a leader that's been beat up real bad, oftentimes they are also training people out of an understanding of life that is somewhat flawed, it, it, where it's like, well, if I got beat up, then you're probably going to get beat up too real mm-hmm. bad. And you just need to learn how to cope with that like I have. And um, so there's been a lot of teaching that's gone forth that teaches people how to cope with the suffering that they're going through without a balance. With spiritual warfare, like what we teach at Bride Ministries, we're teaching people the balance and how to walk in the power they should. See, because I said there was four types of suffering. Two were unavoidable. There there will be a refiner's fire if you're a believer. God will prune you. He prunes me. Um, He prunes everyone that follows him. It's just part of the journey. But then there is the abuse and inescapable evil. And and in the avoidable suffering category, there's the double illegal attacks. And our own poor decision making. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs, you learn real fast what a fool looks like, what folly looks like, and what it leads to. Um, Double mindedness is part of the problem. James 1 6 through 7 says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. You know, there are people that are unstable in all their ways. And there's a distinction to be made, Sheila, in that some people want to blame the devil for everything. Some people want to blame the devil for everything. But you know what? It's not always the devil's fault. There is a thing. It's called choice. It's called decision. It's called You are a moral agent, Christian, and you have the freedom from God to make bad decisions. And sometimes we make bad decisions apart from the devil's influence or at just the very slightest glimmer of the devil's influence. It's like we want 
to destroy our lives for ourselves. You know, no one told the guy who went out and, and, and made, you know, five baby mamas that he had to have five baby mamas. I mean, that, that, that was a decision that he made. And now when he's get, getting sued for child support, by five different people, it's like, oh, I'm suffering, 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 suffering. Oh, well, you know, why don't you just suck it up and begin to become responsible because those children are a gift from God and you, you need to be responsible for what you created. Like, there, it, it, but, but see, this was all avoidable. Had you done things God's way, that wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, and of course, there, there's all kinds of situations and circumstances that, you know, I'm not trying to beat up on anyone with this this example, but all I'm saying is there are things that we need to understand about suffering and some suffering that we go through, we bring upon ourselves, which is why when we begin to study out the ways of God, we learn that many of the things that God tells us to do, he tells us because he loves us and because he's trying to protect us. And when we go outside of that, we create problems for ourselves. So those are what I call the four types of suffering, each deserving of its own conversation. Um, so now that I got that out, I have been on a journey with God to become armed to the teeth. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. So at this point in my walk with, with God, um, I, I really am like armed to the teeth. I, I, I have weapons for everything. <laughs> I mean, the angels that work with me have plasma-based weaponry. It, it's just amazing. I, we, what we've had reported to us in the spirit is just off the charts. But like, like seriously, um, the thing is, is that the, the Bible is a spiritual book. Yes. Okay. So when you read it with the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you get things out of it that the natural mind would simply not get. And hidden therein is a revelation of a lot of the weapons that we do have. We just don't see them as weapons as we go through with surface level reading or with really bad, uh, you know, theology. Like, it, it, it's, um, so, so the first thing is, the, the Bible says weapons because it's a, a plural word. There is more than one. What do they do? They do pull down strongholds. Um, they, they cast down high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There's so many directions I, I could go here, but let me, let me just break it down this way. The way I teach it, Sheila, is that the Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible also says, that we have armor of God. And it says, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Understanding that singular revelation, you realize that you have just unpacked the entire biblical revelation on what weapons are. Because some people say, the only weapon God gave me is a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you know what they do? There was a guy on the Ohio State campus when I was at Ohio State. And you know what he did? He would take a Bible and he would wave it over his head and yell out all kinds of just random stuff out of his mouth. Like he was like, what is he even saying? No one listened to him. He would just walk around the campus and just do that, like waving his Bible over his head. He literally did this for hours. And it would be like, what are you doing? Because this, the power isn't in waving the Bible over your head. It's actually in what it says. Yeah. Why? 
the, well, one, all of the promises of God are yes in him and amen in him to the glory of God through us, um, the, for the life and death are in the power of the tongue. See, there is power, but it's in the word itself. And the word of God becomes a weapon when we begin to understand that what it says determines spiritual realities. So one of the passages I love to pull up here, and then I teach this one. There's a passage in Psalm 18. Most people, they read Psalm 18, they're like, oh, that was cute. That was strange. That was weird. It has a lot of strange things to say. At one point in Psalm 18, I'm just going to give you an idea of how this works. It says, the Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. So people read that. They're like, oh, that's some great symbolism and allegory. I wonder how I can apply that to the recent dream I had after I ate a whole bunch of pizza. You know, and it's like they're looking for symbolism, they're looking for metaphor, they're looking for allegory, poetry, right? Because they don't know what to really do with a passage like this. It's strange. Here's what happens, though. When you realize that the word of God itself is the weapon, suddenly all of the weapons described in the word of God enter your arsenal when you realize where they are. The revelation is that when you speak, you can literally, into the spirit realm, release hailstones and coals of fire. They exist as spiritual weapons. I use them. <laughs> this is why demons, they hate it when I come around. Because I'll do things like confine them to a box and begin to rain down hailstones and coals of fire on their head while they have nowhere to run. I, I mean, I, I, we've done so many creative things, it's, it's obnoxious, Sheila. And it's because when we speak, we can create according to the parameters of the Word of God and because we know our weapons. And, and man, oh man, I, you know, I've done studies through the Word and we have defined a lot of the weapons. A lot of them I give in this course. Hailstones and coals of fire, yeah, they work on the demons. How about the arrows, lightnings? These are spiritual weapons. But you can't get that until you begin to read your word and begin to see it as a spiritual book determining what can be created in the spirit as we begin to speak the word of God. It's our sword, Sheila. It's the sword. So, that you know, you can speak the blast of the breath of God's nostrils. There's other weapons. They include the blood of Jesus. They include the living water. They include the oil of anointing. The, the Bible says... The bondage will break for the anointing, because of the anointing, or the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. There are weapons that, that go beyond that. There's weapons of sound. The Lord spoke and said, let there be light. There's actually light-based weapons in the spirit. Yeah. Um, they, see, it, it's all in the word and as you begin to have revelation of what it means you know light in its various frequencies and color patterns even can determine different applications of light as a spiritual weapon for the person that's seasoned and knows what they are doing and is walking with the spirit of the lord and sheila what i'm just talking about what we're doing right now like when, when you know we come up against some of this stuff you know the weapons they help as, as a matter of fact i couldn't do what i do um, dealing with survivors and, and really high-level stuff, if the, the revelation of how to use the word and apply it to spiritual warfare was not present as, a, as, a, as an undergirding uh, element of my, my understanding. So um, what, what I'm saying is 
There are many weapons throughout the Word of God, and oh, they are effective. I can't tell you how many times this has happened, where we'll be working, and I'll say something like, all right, Lord, we need some angels to execute this job or this function or this assignment, and then I'll speak the Word of the Lord or give a scripture or whatever like that. They'll see the angels come in, and the angels will stop and greet me. They'll actually hear them say, hi, Daniel. Because they know who I am. See, this is the thing. When you know how to effectively partner and have it, it's like you, you know, it's like the angels are actually excited to work with you because you know what you're doing. Because they actually get a lot out of executing their jobs. And, and it's very frustrating even for the angels because so many Christians don't know what they're doing. The, the angels are getting held up in their assignments. It, it's, it's so real. What I'm saying though right now is that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, um, you know, getting beyond uh, Psalm 18, which, which literally just says straightforward, here's some weapons, hailstones, coals of fire, arrows, lightnings, use them on the demons. You know, and how do you do that practically? <laughs> it's like, all right, Father God, every spirit that's coming against my finances, I declare that in the name of Jesus, your word says that you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I declare that your word says you have given me all things pertaining to life and godliness. I declare that your word says you will provide my every need out of the abundance of your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, and that the enemies that rise up against me in one direction will flee in seven. As a matter of fact, I name and declare that assignment is placed on every demon that has been sent against my finances. They're going to suffer under an outpouring of hailstones and coals of fire, lightnings and arrows in abundance. They're going to be pierced through, struck down, smitten, and they're going to be run off in Jesus' name. They're going to go and not come back, and if they try to come back, it'll be seven times worse. And, you know, you, I mean, Sheila, you could just go on and on. The more you know your word, I mean, the more ruthless and violent it gets to the point, like, <laughs> these demons, they're going to be like, I don't want to go anywhere near that guy <laughs> or that girl. This is scary stuff. But you know Why? Because the word creates in the spirit. Here's another thing. God is a speaking spirit. He speaks. When God speaks, things happen. See, you, you create in the spirit realm with words. It, it's kind of like this. Um, the spirit realm is kind of like a canvas. A canvas. The paint is the word of God and the paintbrush is your tongue. And as you begin to use your tongue to apply the word of God, you can create a picture on that canvas. And if someone gives you a canvas that is all wrecked and messed up, you can take the word of God and begin to apply it and re-articulate what that picture is communicating. You can paint right over. See, because there's power in the word. It's a weapon. So when you begin to speak spiritual weapons, it creates things in the spirit realm, conflict and punishment for the enemy that he cannot avoid because these are the rules. Yeah. When I'm talking about applying the word of God in spiritual warfare, what I'm talking about is applying cosmic law because cosmic law says, well, all of the promises of God are yes in him and amen in him to the glory of God through us. There, there, there's, there's an agreement that's intended to take place between heaven and earth and it's applied as we declare the promises of God, we declare the word. We, I mean, this is the whole point. The Bible says that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, the Amplified Bible kind of reconfigures that and says, whatever you bind on earth must be that which is already bound in heaven. And it's, it creates this distinction where it's like, why would we be binding things that are already bound in heaven? Well, here's a revelation. In heaven, God's will is already done. 
But in earth, it's not. Actually, earth and heaven are out of alignment. What brings heaven and earth into alignment? Well, we do when we begin to declare the word of God and subject all the things that the devil is doing to the power of God's word. That's when the shift happens and why the Bible says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's a whole point to prayer. There's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to warfare. It's an assignment for us from heaven to engage in warfare because we are the children of God and difference makers. God put us in the earth for a reason. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on the good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. People walking around saying, God has no purpose for my life. Whatever, man, your purpose was ordained before you were born. You get a grip on reality here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but you you know, you might need to fight for your purpose. You might need to fight for it. You might need to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not going to settle for not walking in my purpose. And every time the devil tries to steal another element of it, you need to say, you know what? Mm Mm-mm. You know what? I'm going to speak the word of God and take it back. Psalm 18. We got we have some weapons here. There are three weapons. Sheila, these are supreme weapons of the spirit. Supreme weapons. So unfathomably powerful. They shake heaven and earth. And, and then God told me this. God said, Daniel, if my glory is the super weapon of my kingdom, then my love is the end of all things. And then, then I began to get a few revelations on how uh, love actually can be applied as a spiritual weapon, which, which is completely contradictory to most thinking on the love of God. But because it, if there's one thing in the kingdom of darkness that there is a complete void of, it is love. They, can't, they don't even know what to do with it. So we're talking about weapons. Um, there's a passage in 1 John 5, 6 through 8, and it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. There are three witnesses in the earth, Sheila, the blood, the water, and the spirit. Now, most people, they stop right there and they say, okay, and they move on. Why? There's no revelation. The blood, the water, and the spirit are three supreme weapons of the kingdom. But we never stop to look at them like weapons because we don't think we have any. (laughs) We're still trying to figure out why it's God's fault that we were abused when we were four years old because our whole thinking is twisted and we don't think we serve a God that wants us to win, but we do. <laughs> so um, when, when, we, when we look at this, three supernatural elements that have been deposited into the earth where they are intended to be actively at work. The thing is, it pulls on the crucifixion of Jesus. This passage pulls on the crucifixion of Jesus. Then one of the soldiers, they pierce his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water comes out. Now, Jesus died on a cross by asphyxiation, which means that, you know, his lungs essentially maximally inflated with air. He couldn't breathe out. And that puts a lot of strain on the heart, and eventually the heart erupts and bursts. And so the blood that came out of his side was the blood and water or fluid that was in the heart, it came out of his sight. Jesus essentially died of a broken heart. But on his crucifixion, he gave up three things. 
blood, water, and spirit. Now, what were they given up as? Witnesses. Yeah. They were actually seated into the earth. For what purpose? To give testimony to him. Now, testimony to Jesus means his victory enforced and witnessed. Many people don't attach witness to Jesus to a conversation on victory. But that's because they don't see Jesus as the one who disarmed principalities and powers, triumphing over them, making an open show of them in it, who took the keys of hell and death. They, they don't see that Jesus. They, they see a Jesus that's powerless, weak, and feeble, who doesn't care, who just sits down in heaven, twiddles his thumbs while they get their butt kicked up and down the street all day long by these little imp devils. It, it, it's, it's, it's a really twisted, perverted view. And what, what I'm saying is, mm -mm, no. Why did Jesus have to shed blood? Blood is so messy. Isn't that satanic, the shedding of blood? It, you know, it's like, so it, it, people get really funny. Why blood? The wages of sin are death, Sheila. Romans 6.23. So when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered by that sin, according to Romans 5.12. So since sin brings death, there must be an antidote for death. And what counterbalances and overpowers death is life. In order to negate the power of death, life must be introduced. So, life is the opposite of death. Where do you find life? Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So, in order to combat the power of death, you need life, and in order to get life, you need blood. So in order to redeem man kind from the power of death, you needed perfect life that could only be revealed through perfect blood, which is why it had to come from Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who died for our sins to redeem men back to God. There is literally, according to cosmic law, no other way for God to cancel the power of death that came as the ultimate generational curse against mankind because of original sin. And so wherever there is sin, death is given entrance. When life is introduced, death is defeated. And so when you begin to apply the power of the blood of Jesus, you supply a situation with supreme power against everything that brings death. It's ultimate life in everything that that blood is being applied to. And so the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's see, that's why the blood can do it. It's the life of God entering a situation of death. When we begin to understand that blood is a witness, uh, we can really see why Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame the devil, him, by means of the blood of the Lamb. So, so blood, the blood of Jesus, which contains the life of God and is seated into the earth as a witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ and his victory becomes overcoming power by which we engage the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's a promise. 
So there's a lot of power in the blood. And you know, there's a lot of Christians that don't use it. They don't even know, you know, they're still trying to argue with the Bible about why Jesus died in the first place. What I'm saying is you, Christian, need to begin to put the life of God contained in the blood of Jesus on everything in your life and touching you. In my life, what do I do? Practically speaking, the blood of Jesus goes over my house, my car, my bank accounts, my relationships, my clients, um, my, my ministry, the blood of Jesus. I mean, it, it goes on everything. So you put the blood of Jesus down, you're drawing a line in the sand against the death-bringing power of the devil. It's, it, it, it's supremely powerful. Before you go into spiritual warfare situations, even to pray for other people, put the blood of Jesus on yourself. Say, I plead the blood of Jesus over myself. The blood of Jesus um, blots out the evidence that the devil accumulates to justify his attacks against us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ blotted out the handwriting which was against us. But that promise needs to be applied actively. I have literally ministered the vengeance of God when God stands up and sends his armies to render justice to the afflictors in the spirit of those whom he has sent me to set free. God executes vengeance in the heaven, Sheila, because he is not happy about what the devil has done. And the only way I am able to execute that ministry is in partnership with the spirit of the living God. Yes. Amen. Well, we're at the top of the hour, Dan, which is why people need to get this spiritual warfare manual so they can get in touch with you to get this course, because I'll tell you what, very few people present this kind of information. And we've only just scratched the surface, which is why people really need to get in touch with Dan. And you can do that at bridemovement.com. Do check that out. And Dan, thank you for all you do in the body of Christ, especially equipping people. Thank you for your time also in coming on the program today. Thank you, Sheila. Well, folks, that was Dan Duvall. As I said, check out that fireplace church of his. That's thefireplacechurch, all one word, dot org, thefireplacechurch.org. Simply go to that website and click on the join and it'll walk you through how to do that. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the broadcast. Tomorrow on the program, we have a very powerful guest who was just on the Sid Roth program this morning. It is Brother John Ramirez, former high-level Santeria warlock. I'll tell you what, this was a bad dude before Jesus got a hold of him. So you definitely want to tune in tomorrow. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Hey, and don't forget to pre-order Power Prayers Warfare That Works. And how do you order it? Well, there is a link on my website just on the right-hand side just there on the right-hand side. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.